welcome to the Cell Intel podcast, where we explore how single cell and spatial analysis methods are being adopted and are accelerating discoveries in life science research. Welcome to the 10X Genomics Cell Intel podcast. I'm Neil Weingarten, your host for today. And I'm joined by Dr. William Hudson, postdoctoral fellow in the lab of Dr. Rafi Ahmed at the Emory Vaccine Center. Hello, Dr. Hudson. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you very much. So why don't you give a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and how you wound up in Dr. Ahmed's lab? Sure. I did uh, I did my PhD also at Emory, actually, in uh, structural biology. I was interested in the way that glucocorticoids suppress pro-inflammatory gene transcription. So I actually did a lot of structural biology, biochemistry. My wife um, at the time was finishing her MD-PhD at Emory, and I wanted to study immunology. So there was no better place on campus to go than, than Dr. Ahmed's lab. And so I've gone there, and I've been really interested in T-cell exhaustion and T-cell differentiation and understanding what drives T-cell dysfunction and, and the, the ways that we can, um, the strategies that we can use to counteract T-cell exhaustion and things like cancer. Fantastic. For those who are not familiar, can you explain a little bit what T-cell exhaustion is? This is a term that you know we hear fairly often, but don't necessarily understand uh, if we're not in the immunology space. Sure. So if you're not familiar with T-cells, T-cells are a type of adaptive immune cell that recognize peptides that are presented on MHC, and those are expressed on every cell in the body pretty much. Um, I'm particularly interested in CD8 T-cells, and these recognize peptides presented by MHC class 1, which again is expressed on every cell type. And CD8 T-cells will kill a host cell if it is expressing or if it presents a peptide that is derived from a microbe or hopefully a mutated peptide that is coming from a cancer cell. The problem is, while that system works very well a lot of the time, the problem is when antigen persists, so like in a chronic viral infection like HIV or in something like cancer where the tumor may have been there for weeks or months or years, the T-cell decides to become what we call exhausted, and that is that it doesn't function quite as well. And it's an evolutionary mechanism designed to prevent immunopathology. So it thinks that potentially it's seeing a self-antigen because it doesn't want to get so fired up and activated because it's seen this antigen for a long time. But in the case of where you truly have a chronic infection or where you have cancer, you don't want that T-cell to stop killing cancer cells. But it does, and that happens through mechanisms like the PD-1 pathway, which has received a lot of attention for cancer immunotherapy. And we hope to find other strategies to combat that T-cell exhaustion so that they will, the T-cells will ramp their activity back up and start to kill those cancer cells again. So one of the things that I was hoping that we could speak about today is that you recently put two papers into the bioarchive, one explaining a novel technique to localize specific T-cell clonotypes within a tissue, and then second, applying that strategy to human brain metastases. And we were fascinated by all of this. For the benefit of our listeners, again, who might not be familiar, can you explain what a T-cell clonotype is and why it's specifically important? Sure. Each T-cell that I was talking about will have a T-cell receptor. And the T-cell receptor is what the cell physically uses to contact that MHC1 peptide that I was talking about. So we know that if two T-cells have the same T-cell receptor, which we can tell by sequencing that receptor, that they're seeing the same antigen. Whereas two cells with different T-cell receptors are probably seeing different antigens. And so by by looking at the T-cell receptor, we can say, okay, these two cells are seeing the same antigen, and we can make inferences on their phenotype. It may be interesting if we know that 
uh, two different cells are seeing the same antigen, but perhaps they have two different phenotypes. And that may tell you something about their function or the ways that T cells differentiate and become different cell types. Because we know they're seeing the same antigen, but they have two different states. And so we can learn a little bit about what the function of those T cells might be. So on the pack podcast so far, my colleagues and I have spoken to a number of guests about the power of looking at transcriptomics in a spatial context and even taking knowledge from single cell gene expression and overlaying that onto vision spatial data. But you've taken this a step further with this new technique. Not only are you looking at expression patterns, but you've adapted the technology to look at, at clonotype information. So first of all, you're studying immune oncology, as I understand it, and this is essentially an immune response to tumors. So why is it important to understand the spatial distribution of immune cells within a cancerous tissue? Yeah, one of the things that we, we realized in these brain metastases is not only are there tumor-specific cells there, but they're also bystander cells, so things that are specific for viruses like Epstein-Barr virus or CMV. And so one of the things that we found in our paper, and we didn't know until we looked, but the tumor-specific cells, which makes sense, were more likely to be found in the tumor. And the cells that had the, the phenotype of bystander cells were more likely to be found outside the tumor. And so that makes sense because you know that a tumor-specific cell, they're going to migrate toward antigen versus a bystander-specific cell may migrate away from antigen. But it should take you beyond the obvious point. Beyond that, knowing where the clonotypes are, you can also look at the transcriptional environment around those clonotypes. So there are many differentially expressed genes within a tumor versus outside a tumor, including things like cytokines and chemokines, which are gonna be directly influencing T cell function. And so while it may be obvious um, that, that a tumor specific T cell would go into the tumor, what's not obvious is what are the differences there compared to outside the tumor in terms of cytokine or chemokine or receptor inhibitory receptor function and expression that may be affecting what those T cells are doing. Um, and, and their function and their differentiation state. There's been a lot in the news right now. People are becoming amateur immunologists just based on the time that we're living in right now. And, you know, people realize that there are T cells and there are B cells and there are other types of cells. Why specifically are you focusing on T cells in this particular context? Yeah, that's a good question. It seems that most of the immune response against cancer, as far as actually killing tumor cells, comes from CD8 T cells. There have been many, many groups showing, including Rafi's group, that when you give PD-1 therapy, in this case, this is a checkpoint inhibitor um, to improve the immune response against cancer, that a lot of times a CD8 T cell proliferative burst, as we call it, that is a large number of these cells coming out to the blood is indicative of a response. We also see in a lot of tumors that pre-existing CD8 T cell infiltration is predictive of response. And so we're interested in T cells because those are the arm of the immune system that are directly capable of killing, in an antigen-specific manner, cancer cells. Um, that's not to say the other the other techniques are not important. Rafi's group also just showed that there are tumor-specific B cells in HPV-positive head and neck cancer. And of course, we know that NK cells play a role, particularly in, um, in killing tumor cells that have lost expression of MHC. But for the most part, um, I think uh, CD8 T cells are, are very important in terms of directly killing the cells and doing it in an antigen-specific manner so you're not getting this um, this nonspecific immunopathology to go along with, um, with cancer killing. So I think it's important for us to discuss a little bit about what you actually accomplished here with this kind of novel approach. So can you tell me a little bit, how did you adapt the 10x genomics Visium technology to allow you to look at spatial localization of, of T cells and then specific 
clonotypes of T-cells. Sure. I'll back up a little bit and talk about the structure of the T-cell receptor, or the TCR, as you may have heard me call it. The really fascinating thing about T-cells is that there's a nearly infinite variety of T-cell receptors that can be created. And the importance of that is your body doesn't know ahead of time what pathogen is going to be seen, what peptides that it will see on MHC. So it makes you know, this tremendous number of T-cell receptors in order to combat anything, hopefully, that it, it might see as you live your life. And so, first of all, there's a tremendous variety. So when you want to sequence, you need to be able to sequence all of the T-cell receptors. And it's a little bit, it was a little bit challenging because with the technique, with the, the spatial transcriptomics assay, you're actually capturing the mRNA at the three prime end. And so that's kind of far away from where the variable region of the T-cell receptor is. And when I say variable region, that's the part that's actually different. That's what gives the T-cell receptor its specificity for a particular antigen, and it's also what makes one T-cell different from another. And there is a region of the T-cell receptor that's constant. So that's the region of the T-cell receptor that will be the same from one T-cell to another, and that's not involved in antigen specificity. But that doesn't give you any information about the antigen specificity of that T-cell. So we needed to sequence the variable region, which is the part of the T-cell receptor that's different from cell to cell. And it turns out that's a long way from the three prime end. It also turns out that that constant region is after it's sort of the three prime end of the variable region. And there are many different variable regions. And so we actually used a pool of more than 40 PCR primers starting way upstream of the three prime end to try to capture as much of that diversity as we could. And that leads to a couple things. You know, it's challenging to work out the PCR because you have many different primers instead of just one or two constant region primers. And it also creates a fairly long uh, amplicon, about a thousand bases. And so that can be somewhat challenging from a sequencing standpoint. But fortunately, the genomics core, uh, the Yerkes genomics core here at Emory is great, and they helped me out with sequencing. And so we ended up using a pool of, I believe it was 45 TCR beta primers to get one chain of the TCR. It made up, depending on the TCR, about a kilobase amplicon. We sent that to them, and if you have a very non-diverse library, because depending on how many T cells you have in there, if you don't have very many, your library will be not diverse at all. And so they helped us out with the sequencing, um, and we were able to get some good data um, by using longer reads to read as far as we could into the, the variable region, and also spiking in some PhiX, you know, because these were very non-diverse libraries. Now, you mentioned uh, the beta chain, TCR beta, and so in these tier, these specific T cells that you're looking at, usually there's an alpha and beta chain, there's other types of T cells with other chains. Why were you focused on the beta chain specifically? Yeah, so most T-cells have an alpha chain and a beta chain. Uh, the beta chain is most um, compatible with, with other assays as well. So, for example, we looked in the blood and we looked at just TCR beta. Um, you could also look at the alpha region. And actually, in the, in the preprint, we, we cited a paper that used a pool of primers to get the TCR alpha. So you actually could do both. Um, at this point, unlike single cell, you probably could not pair the alpha and the beta because in your capture region of the spatial assay, if you have two T cells, you may not be able to say which alpha goes with each beta. But certainly we're looking at doing alpha in the future. We're also potentially interested in looking at BCR sequences as well. So I don't think the technique is limited to just TCR beta, but it's what we went with because it's compatible with a lot of other assays um, and it's very commonly used. And it's um, there's also a lot of information out there on um, TCR beta specificity. So we could go back and compare the TCRs that we found with specificities that others had described in the past. Yeah, I think that's actually an important point is that this technique that you've demonstrated now 
really opens the door to a lot of different other things that people could look at, the alpha chains, look at B cells, etc. So, I mean, it's probably got some broader applicability, but you've demonstrated the feasibility here, which is fantastic. Just to, uh, as a note, earlier on, I was talking about overlaying single cell information, etc. Did you use any of the 10x genomic single cell assays to look at the 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 repertoire of clonotypes, um, and how did that information inform what you were doing inside of the uh, spatial platform? Yes, we did. We actually started with single cell sequencing, and depending on on this particular sample, we sorted out either all CD8 T cells or PD1 positive CD8 T cells, which are the ones that are more likely to be antigen specific. And we did both gene expression profiling of the single cells, in addition to the VDJ, looking at the TCR sequences with the 10X kit. Um, and that was, again, done through our, our core here at the uh, Emory um, Yerkes Genomics core. And what we found with the single cell is that there was really this dichotomy of both phenotype and clonotype. So we had these cells that didn't look all that exhausted. They expressed transcription factors like TCF1, which we associate with more stem-like or pluripotent function of CD8 T cells. Um, and we had this other phenotype where we, these cells were very exhausted. Again, that is they're very dysfunctional. They express things like PD-1, like CD-39. And it turns out in, in these samples that the, the, if you had a clonotype, they were found in one phenotype or the other. And so that led us to think that obviously they're probably seeing different antigen specificities, but also that they might be in different places. Perhaps the ones that were more exhausted were seeing tumor antigen and were located in the tumor, and perhaps the, the, the other ones weren't seeing tumor antigen. We actually showed that some of them were seeing viral antigen, and either they would be enriched more outside the tumor or perhaps have no enrichment at all, just be surveilling and migrating through the tissue. And so we wanted to use the spatial assay to to try to get out that TCR information. So because of that phenotypic restriction, we could say, okay, this this clonotype has this phenotype and it's located here. And so we could really powerfully draw together phenotype, clonotype, and location to, to I think, draw some really important insights about the functions um, and differentiation pathways available to these T cells in the tumor. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned one of the things that we like to talk about on the podcast is how people can get into doing these types of analyses, whether it's single cell or spatial technology. And you mentioned that the Emory Core was able to help you with the single cell assay. For the particular approach that you were taking, where you were doing this kind of spatial clonotyping, uh, did the Core do that, or were you uh, getting your hands dirty and, and actually getting in and running the assay? Yeah, other than the sequencing, we actually did everything ourselves. So the way we got into it, I actually contacted the core, and I was interested in the spatial transcriptomics, but I'd seen it, I don't know if it was some 10x marketing materials or some other papers or something like that. And I said, hey, do you guys do spatial transcriptomics? And they said, no, but why don't you try it? So they actually bought us a kit uh, to get started um, because they wanted to see how it would go for one of their customers because we do a lot of sequencing with them. We probably keep them in business. And they're great to work with, and so they sent us this kit, and, and we got started. And uh, we found that one thing that struck me was how easy um, it was to follow the protocol. I think 10X has really laid out very detailed protocols. It's very hard to go wrong. Um, there are some things you have to get used to, but we were able to do it, get, get the, the spatial transcriptomics assay up and running um, very easily. And so I'd recommend if you're thinking about it, just try it because it was great. And so once we get to the library point, if you're familiar with the protocol, you essentially get a cDNA library um, and you make a sequencing library and send it to the core or the sequencer. But you have some of that cDNA left over. And I was like, well, why don't we see what, what T-cell receptor RNAs um, or cDNAs are in here? And so 
that's where I started working out the assay for myself. We knew that the assay at the three prime end of the RNA captures the spatial barcode, so that's where it tells you where it is, the UMI, so you can correct for um, for PCR amplification. So I said, why don't I just try to PCR the TCR from the five prime end? And so that's why I went to the literature because lots of people have done that for different reasons. They've needed to profile TCRs from the five prime end. And I just used primers that were published, did the PCR um, with the 10X library construction kit. And it turned out quite nicely. I think there are still maybe some issues to work out with, with TCR bias and things like that. But I think we showed very nicely that it is possible to do it yourself. I don't really consider myself a, a bioinformaticist, but um, it certainly wasn't too bad to, to get those TCRs out ourselves. So let's now discuss a little bit, if you will. The paper describing the technique is, is really quite nice. It's a, it's a very uh, elegant way of kind of looking at this. And something that we've heard people ask about before. So I think it's going to be something that's going to definitely uh, have a lot of, of people looking at it. But at the same time, you have another wonderful paper that actually looks at using this technique in the context of brain metastases. So could you talk a little bit about, A, that project and why you're studying these brain metastases? And then we'll talk about how this technique is, is helping with that study. Sure. I actually got interested in brain metastases when a resident, a radiation oncology resident at Emory, her name is Lisa Sudmeyer, and she's the first author of that paper. Uh, she came to Rafi's lab and said, hey, I want to study the immunology of brain metastases. And she had a background in neuroscience, was new to immunology, and so we started to work together on this project. And so she started um, obtaining these samples from the neurosurgeons, so we're very thankful to them and to the patients who have allowed us to look at these samples. And what we really wanted to do was get as much information out of these tumors as we can for multiple reasons. First, as you may know, brain tumors have a very dismal prognosis, and certainly um, we need to understand the the biology that's going on there so we can develop new therapeutic strategies. But also, you know, we don't get many of these samples. Um, we actually have 31 in this paper, which is a very large number, but you want to get as many as, as much information as you can out of these samples because a lot of times sample is limited. And so... Um, we, we decided to take a really um, multi-pronged approach. So we started with um, flow cytometry, trying to use multi-parameter flow cytometry um, to look at protein expression on these cells. We decided to do single-cell RNA sequencing, which we've looked at a little bit. We've done spatial transcriptomics, um, TCR profiling of the periphery, um, as well as in the tumor. And so that's really what led us to, to get started with this project, is we had these samples. We wanted to know as much as possible about them. And, uh, and that's really where we just started to look and say, hey, what techniques can we use to, to glean as much information from these tumors as we can? And then what did you learn when you applied this, this novel approach as well? I mean, there's some, some great demonstrations inside if you, you know, go into the figures of specific clone types, that, like you said, that kind of targeted maybe tumor antigens that were within the tumor, these kind of bystander T cells that were outside of the tumor. So what did you learn overall in that study? Yeah, so we, we learned several different things. First is just that there are lots of CD8 T cells in these brain metastases. Early on, a lot of times, um, patients with brain metastases were excluded from immunotherapy um, trials because we didn't know uh, if brain metastases could respond. And there are some data now showing that brain metastases um, are susceptible to immune checkpoint blockade, and we showed that that's because CD8 T cells do get in. It, it is it does vary by primary tumor type. Breast cancer is a little lower infiltrated. Melanoma and lung are, are pretty well infiltrated, but it shows that there is a CD8 T cell population there uh, that that can be targeted for immunotherapy, which is important because it lays the foundation for 
for going after immunotherapies, that there are T-cells there that, that can be targeted. We also showed what I think is really interesting is that there are these bystander cells there. There are actually non-tumor-specific cells in the brain, and that means a couple of things. That it's not necessarily an antigen-driven process that's driving these cells into the brain, um, that you are getting antigen-specific and non-antigen-specific cells alike going into the brain. It means maybe those could be targeted. You know, There has been some work, um, for example, out of Dave Mazepa's lab at Minnesota showing that there are bystander cells in tumors, and potentially you could target those to make the tumor more inflamed and maybe drive more antigen-specific cells in there. Um, we also showed that there are different subsets of cells. Um, so those antigen-specific cells express a lot of checkpoint molecules. And so by targeting molecules on the subsets that you're interested in, perhaps you can make a new immunotherapy. By looking at the cell surface um, repertoire of these cells, maybe you can design an antibody to, to target just antigen-specific cells, for example, and and one of the the work, one of the things that we're trying to do is to look at is that different between brain tumors and other types of tumors? Could it be that there are tissue-specific differences in tumor infiltrating CD8 T cells, and maybe you need to target different things for different tumors? And then finally, we looked at the spatial transcriptomics, and as we've talked about um, in detail, you know, the, the tumor-specific cells are inside the tumor preferentially, but that's a very different environment. For example, we show that there's a lot of VEGF inside the tumor. And of course, we know that that is important for angiogenesis of tumors, but it may also be important for the T cells themselves. So there's been some work showing that VEGF can lead to expression of exhaustion markers on CD8 T cells. And so by knowing where these different types of cells are and the expression of cytokines, chemokines, surface signaling proteins, potentially we can target things that aren't on the CD8 T cells themselves that these tumors are expressing to still, um, to still indirectly target the CD8 T cells by what's signaling to them. So I think that you mentioned something there that um, maybe we didn't really talk about, but these brain metastases, these are not brain tumors that have metastasized. These are metastases coming from other organs within the body and then going into the brain afterwards. And depending on the site of origin could really change what that tumor looks like inside of the brain. So not all brain metastases would look the same at all. Exactly. Um, and, you know, this really kind of, you know, we hear these terms precision medicine, personalized medicine all the time, but really what it boils down to is that we need to fundamentally understand each individual tumor to be able to treat it. And I think that this is this is an important lesson that you're revealing here. So you mentioned uh, precision medicine, and certainly we're interested in what the T-cell infiltrate looks like in between different primary types and um, primary brain cancers themselves. And we have found that there are differences between primary types. For example, I mentioned that breast cancer had lower infiltration than other cancer types. And I think we'll also see that there are probably phenotypic differences as well. One of the things we haven't talked about that we found with the spatial method is that even within the same tumor, for example, we had this renal clear cell tumor, there were these large nests of tumors and this smaller nest just based on the histology. And the gene expression profile was actually different. So even not only among different tumors, even within the same tumor, you can have very different gene expression profiles of different parts of the tumor. And so that means that a CD8 T cell or a B cell or any other cell that's there could have a very different environment, just you know, being you know a few hundred microns apart, even though it's still technically within the, the mass of the tumor. That's fascinating and, and really underscores why we need to look at these things in spatial context, because a lot of that would be lost in a, in a more bulk assay or 
quite frankly, even in a single cell assay where we lose the fact that these things were only separated by a few hundred microns, as you said, and yet could have very, very different characteristics. And so that's really quite important. Yeah, I also found that the analysis was much different. I had done single cell RNA-seq analysis before. Um, but of course, there's no spatial component to that. Usually we just, you know, project them onto a UMAP and say, you know, these cells look like these other cells. And I actually found um, the spatial transcriptomics analysis to be more challenging, both in a fun way and that you're trying to bring out more insights, but also more difficult because you have to actually look at it in actual space. So you can't just, you can, sure, project the capture areas in some, you know, mathematical projection. Um, but it's a very visual subject. You have to look and say, okay, this gene is expressed over here, this gene is expressed over here, these T cells are over here, these B cells are over here. And so it actually made it a lot more challenging to figure out what the insights were. And so I found myself spending a lot more time on the spatial transcriptomics analysis than on the single cell. Um, but I think that was time well spent because I think we did gain some really important insights. And so I think the developing analysis tools will also be important for the, um, the spatial transcriptomics assay. So um, you've already mentioned a little bit uh, about how this might be used, but if you wanted to just touch a little bit on what you think the therapeutic implications of all of this might be and, and you know how something like this could inform treatment decisions for patients. Sure. One of the things in the future I'd like to look at are, are trying to pick out those tumor-specific TCRs, those T-cell receptors, and could you turn it into some sort of adoptive cell therapy treatment? Um, so it's very hard to actually find neoantigen-specific cells. You have to sequence the tumor, sequence the normal tissue, find the, the mutations encoding genes, which one of those are predicted to bind to MHC, actually do the assay. And by, by the end of that, that's taken a very long time, and the hit rate is not very high. We know that there are tumor-specific cells because when you give PD-1, it works in many cases but it's very hard to find those tumor-specific cells. So I think potentially by combining the single cell and the spatial, by saying, okay, these T cells look exhausted, they have a TCR that's found in the tumor, could that be a TCR that you could use for adoptive cell therapy? Could you clone that TCR out and, and put it back into a mouse or a patient um, and see if that has tumor-specific activity? Obviously, CAR T cells have gotten a lot of attention because they work very well, but generally they're seeing extracellular antigens like CD19 or 20 on B cells for certain types of lymphoma. But for solid tumors, could we take these TCRs that we that look antigen-specific? You don't have to go through the whole pipeline because that may be too long for the patient. It may be too expensive. Could, could we say, okay, these TCRs look exhausted. They look like tumor-specific TCRs. Can we clone those out and make a cell therapy product to put back into that patient? And so I think we need ways to find those TCRs more readily. And I, I think that finding TCRs um, that look exhausted and are found in the tumor could be a, a way to do that. That's great. So um, just to close this out a little bit, what do you think is next, both kind of in, in Dr. Ahmed's lab and then in your own personal future as, as you go out and, and start your own lab? Yeah, that's right. I'm on the job market. So if anyone listening has a position, feel free to contact me. Um, I think one thing is we just need more in. We've done this on, um, we did, we looked at 31 brain metastases. We did the single cell in a subset of that. We did the, the spatial transcriptomics on a subset of that 31. And so to draw patterns um, and conclusions about what happens in these tumors, we need to look at more because I think we've really nicely established you can look at the, quote, spatial TCR repertoire of these tumors, but it's just a few that we've looked at. So I think we need to look at more, and that's something we hope to do. Um, and then also looking at B cells, for example, I think it would be possible to get the BCR via this assay. We, we touch on that a little bit in the preprint. 
um, because T cells aren't the only thing there. And there was a really there was one tumor that we looked at that had this really striking expression that we saw spatially of lower MHC1 expression where the tumor nests were. It was this very complicated tumor. This was actually a, a breast metastasis to the brain. And histologically, you had desmoplasia around bits of tumor, and you had normal brain in there. And so it's very hard to see what was going on. But, but one thing we noticed is that you could almost tell what the tumor was based on lower expression of MHC1. And that means that your T-cell targeted therapies may not work because if a cell does not express MHC1, your T-cell is not going to recognize it. And so looking at other cell types that are there, other things you can target beyond T-cells, um, which of course we'll need other labs to, to help us out with because we are primarily a T-cell focused group. But I think it just opens the possibility of looking at many other cell types that are there. It's just very convenient that T-cells and B-cells have their own receptor, and that helps us put them in their place spatially. Um, and one thing we're looking forward to is going higher resolution um, to be able to get to more of a single cell level spatially, because the capture spots are still somewhat large. Like I said, I think it would be hard to get paired alpha beta from from the spatial assay, but I think if you went to a little or a little higher resolution that you could get that. And I think 10X is probably planning on doing that in the future. Yeah, that's a that's a nice little plug for uh, Visium HD that'll be coming out in uh, in the next year and uh, is going to increase that resolution dramatically, close to the single cell level, maybe even subcellular. So that's I think that's going to be quite helpful for this kind of a, an analysis. Something that we didn't really touch on, but um, is worth mentioning, is that this particular assay that you've developed um, is really only going to work right now on the on the fresh frozen tissue because you need those long intact chains uh, for the TCR. And that's going to continue to be um, a platform that's going to have extreme value for these kinds of studies, I think. Right. When I've um, talked to other people who are processing tumors, I also say, I often now say, we didn't do it initially, I say, you know, cut off a little piece and, and freeze it fresh if you can get it. We get these tumors right after they've been resected. Um, because that opens up the possibility to do a lot more things. Even if you don't want to do spatial right now, you can freeze it, you know, put it in the freezer, it'll be there. Or even other assays beyond this that haven't been developed yet or that, that you may want um, to do, where you will have that intact um, RNA, full-length RNA, because a lot of times people like to drop their their tumors in formaldehyde or formalin or something, and then you lose a lot of that information. And that's fine to do that, but just cut off a little piece first for fresh frozen, because I think... Um, you never know what will happen. You may want to come back to this assay. You may want to do something else. Um, and so that's something we do for, for all our tumors now. We, we freeze a little bit fresh in case we want to go back and do something like the spatial assay. It's great that you've got buy-in from the from the surgeons and the oncologists on this because you already mentioned these, these tissues are very valuable, very precious. You want to run as many assays on them as you can, get as much information from them as you can. And if you take a particular mode of, of archiving these tissues that excludes some of those analyses, then it limits what you can do. And this approach of keeping some frozen, going with traditional histology on other parts of it, um, I think really maximizes what we can do with these incredibly valuable tissues. So. Absolutely. We couldn't have done this without the surgeons um, who, and, and having cl clinician collaborators who really understand not just the value of research, but how research is done. You know, that they will text us and say, okay, the tumor's out, so we get it as fresh as we can. Um, because certainly um, time matters. Like getting these tissues out um, quickly, I think helped our data be as good as it can be, freezing them as soon as we could. And so it's, it's really a team effort as far as um, going from the patient who consents to the people, the surgeons who cut it out 
us who process the tumors as fast as we can and then people who do the sequencing. So we're very fortunate in Rafi's lab at Emory to have had these collaborators who are um, very in tune to what the research requires. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hudson. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give the titles of the two papers so that people can find them easily uh, on the bioarchive. Again, it's uh, Dr. William H. Hudson. The uh, first is the technique paper, and the title is Localization of T-Cell Clonotypes Using Spatial Transcriptomics. And the second is The CD8-Positive T-Cell Landscape of Human Brain Metastases. My name is Neil Weingarten, and I've been speaking today with Dr. William Hudson. Thank you very much, Dr. Hudson. Thank you, Neil. It's been great to be here. You can find more episodes of Cell Intel Podcast at 10xgenomics.com forward slash cell dash intel. Subscribe if you want to be notified about new episodes, have the opportunity to give some feedback, or participate in polling questions or trivia contests for a chance to win a goodie and have your name, institution, and research area mentioned on the air. If you liked our podcast, your friends probably will too, so let them know about us. Thank you for listening and keep seeking out the possibilities. Mm-hmm.